What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. Well, good morning. <laughs> I like having the kids up front because they're, uh, they're into it. Um, hope you guys are having a good morning so far. How are you guys feeling? You feeling all right? Yeah, wasn't it nice to have kind of like a full band this morning? Uh, for those of you that, can we just give it up for our worship team? Being a, a former worship pastor, that's pretty near and dear to me, and so it was just cool um, to, to fill that out. And don't worry, we're going to sing again in a little bit, so um, you just got to get through me talking for a while, and then we're going to get back to the singing, just, just one more song. Um, but uh, I'm glad that you're here. My name is Brian, and uh, I am your pastor here at Restoration, and we're pretty excited about everything that we've got going on. There's a whole bunch of stuff coming up, like Clayton had talked about with Feeding America on June 26th. Um, we're, we're working in the beginning stages right now. Not too many people know this, but Kelly is on our board. She and I are working through a program or a curriculum. I don't know what we're going to call it. Can I call it a curriculum? I don't know. A thing where if you're new here and you want to find out more about who we are, we're going to go through those what matters statements um, as basically kind of like a, like a class. So we're going to do it like an eight-week uh, section where we're just like, hey, this is who we are, this is what matters to us, and this is why it's a little bit different here at Restoration Church. This is a th these are the things that make us different. It's not just because we meet in a brewery, it's not just because of our financial model that's different, but the way that we want to approach how we're doing church, so to speak, is, uh, is, is different. And so we're going to spend those, those eight weeks just going through um, what makes us different, what matters to us, and why it matters. So that's going to be a pretty good time. We're, that's going to be something that we continually do, not just a one-time thing. Um, and so we're excited about that at some point. I don't know when that's going to happen. I wasn't even going to say anything about it. But when Clayton was saying, like, we've got a lot of stuff coming up, I was like, wow, yeah, we do, because then we're going to do this. Like, there's a lot of stuff in the works, and we're so excited about all the stuff that we're doing. We've got a, a men's group that meets on Friday mornings at 6 o'clock in the morning. Gross, right? <laughs> Very gross, but it's six o'clock in the morning, and I know some of you guys are like, I'm starting work at 6 a.m. That's nothing. Uh, well, for a pastor, it's a lot, so just don't, don't judge me, okay? But six o'clock in the morning, uh, my friend Dennis is, is leading that study. There's actually three Dennis's here this morning, which is pretty wild, so... Um, and I know like four more. I don't know what's going on. Dennis's are taking over Traverse City, but um, Dennis leads a study for us, and there's seven dudes that show up, myself included, at six o'clock in the morning 
for a, for a Bible study, and that's insane, but that's cool. I mean, there's just a lot of cool stuff happening here, and we're excited uh, that you're here and get to be a part of this, even, even as, as fresh and new as all of this is. So uh, we're in this series called... Um, uh, promises. And it, we're, we're going through the book of Genesis. We've been going through it for a while now. In fact, 15, we're in week 15 of our series in Genesis. The first 11 chapters we called that escalated quickly, and now we're in this series called Promises, and we're going to be there for another 10 weeks or so. But we're going to be in Genesis 15 today. And um, if I can just be honest with you, do you, do you ever hear that phrase, if I can just be honest with you? And then, like, there's something terrible that happens right after that. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't like the way you look, right? Like, that's, that's like, something that happens. People are like, oh, boy. Uh, what's, what's that? I mean, I don't know if that's ever been said to you, but um, it's not true for any of you. You all look great, but uh, for, for me, maybe. Um, but anytime we say, like, if I, if I can just be honest with you, it usually ends with something poor, right? But if, if I can be honest with you guys this morning, um, I, I, I've, I haven't felt like I was in a groove, really, the last several weeks. And uh, like preaching and whatever, I was like, ah, oh, my messages have been kind of like subpar, you know, we're getting there. And, and we're all growing together. So if we want to be transparent and honest, like, I just want to be honest with you guys and say we are a growing church. We're a new church, we're growing, and I'm learning how to be a lead pastor. And so I'm going to continually fail. Uh, we're all going to continually fail. And I hope we can be honest with each other and saying some of these things. Like, you know what? I'm not going to be the best pastor that you've ever seen. I know that that's true because there's YouTube and there's a lot of much better preachers out there than me, but I hope that what I lack in, in skill we can make up for in honesty and transparency. Is that cool? And uh, I, I say that because in this book, in Genesis 15, um, we see Abram get super honest with God. We see him have a whole lot of questions for God because he had been promised quite a bit. He had been promised a child that uh, God was going to make a great nation out of him. And right now, Abram is not so sure about that. It's been over a decade since that promise was made to him, and he still has no children. He still has no children. And so he's about to get really honest with God. And I think sometimes we shy away from that. We shy away from being super honest with God, with who he is. And we're like, well, I can't question what's happening in my life because God is perfect, God is sovereign, and I just have to, you know, own it and, 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 and just accept it and just move on and not question a single thing. And I think that that's a very superficial way for us to have an experience with God. I think that's a very, um, just a... a uh, surface level experience. When we can't be honest with God, I don't think it's going to work very well. I think our, our faith is going to be very thin. And we see this in this chapter. And so I want to get into it with you guys. Um, we're going to take a lot of breaks as we read through this the scripture, not coffee breaks, um, but just breaks from reading. And we're going to discuss a little bit of what's going on. And by discuss, it means I'm going to speak and you guys are just going to listen because uh, that's what discuss <laughs> means to a preacher. Uh, is like, hey, let's have a discussion of me just talking and you guys listening. Cool. So Genesis 15, starting in verse 1. After these things, what things? After these, what things? Well, in, verse, in, in chapter 14, we see that uh, Abram had to rescue 
his nephew Lot. Lot had gotten in trouble. Uh, he had moved over near Sodom, not in Sodom, but near Sodom. He had, he had moved in over there and uh, Sodom got under attack because um, a whole, you can go back and listen to it if you want to, and Sodom's under attack. Abram has to go rescue Lot because Lot is taken uh, captive. And so Abram goes and rescues Lot and has a big victory. He gets to meet Melchizedek and it's a big deal. Melchizedek is a big deal. He's like a Jesus figure. And those are the things that had just happened. So after these things, three words in, I've already stopped, sorry. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Fear not. Why did God have to say fear not? Now, first things first, God comes to Abram in a vision. I don't know what that looked like. Maybe he was tired and just took a nap and then God showed up. I think God shows up in supernatural ways to a lot of people and it's never the same way for any one person. God can do a lot of the things that he wants to do and it doesn't depend all the time on us. Rarely, ever, does it depend on us. God can show up and speak to you however he wants to. And there's not one size fits all. We're not all gonna have the same gifting. We're not all gonna be doing the same things. We're not all gonna experience God the exact same way. Some people go on a walk and they see God. Some people go to a church service and they see God. Some people are hanging out with friends and they see who God is and they see God speak to them. See, God speaks to us in a lot of different ways, but in this account, Abram has a vision from God, and God says, fear not. Now, in this battle before, see, these, these kings that were taken over things, they had no idea that Abram was even in, in the land, anywhere near the land. They had taken this guy Lot. They didn't know who he was. Now, Abram is a marked man in this territory. Think about that. These, these kings who got defeated by Abram and his 318 soldiers, his 318 men that came and defeated all of these kings, now Abram is a marked man. They know who Abram is, and he's a target. Think about that for a second. Before, Abram was living peacefully, just kind of being his thing, being a farmer with all of his stuff, nothing going on, and now Abram is a marked man, so he's got some fear. He's got some fear, and God speaks directly to that fear, saying, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. God speaks directly to the issue that Abram, Abram might be feeling right here. God says, I am your shield. I know you're, on, you're a marked man now with these different kings, with these different places. Don't worry about it. I'm gonna be your protector. I'm gonna be your shield. God is speaking to the fear. See, if we're not honest with God, if we're not honest with, with what we're going through, how is God gonna to speak to the things that we're not honest about? Hmm? If we're gonna be honest with God, he's going to be honest with us and tell us, I see what you're going through. I see it, I see it, and don't worry. I understand and I've been there and I'm for you. So he says, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. That's the second thing he says. Your reward shall be very great. Why does he say that? Because, again, in chapter 14, he could have had the spoils of the kingdoms of, of, of war. He could have had the spoils of war. He could have taken everything with him, but he takes nothing with him. He could have chosen the king of Sodom and gone that route and taken all of the stuff with him. He could have done all of those things, but he doesn't do it. He says, you know what? I don't want any of that kind of stuff because I don't want you to say that you made me rich. If you remember that, chapter 14. 
and he denies himself all of this stuff that is entitled to him, but he says, no thanks. So God rewards and says, I'm going to be your reward. So in the two areas that Abram is, is worried about and concerned about, God speaks directly to it. All right, we're done with verse one. Perfect. <clears throat> verse two, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. All right, two more verses, let's stop. Abram has had a successful life so far in many ways, except for one area of his life. And this is the one thing God has promised him that still hasn't happened. And so he's trying to, to make sense of it. He's thinking, okay, maybe I got to take matters into my own hands again. I've got this, this servant, Eleazar, who maybe, maybe he's like my right-hand man. Maybe I adopt him as my, as my servant because that was a thing that rich people would do back then is they would adopt a servant. If they didn't have kids, they could adopt someone and uh, make a servant and they would be their heir. And he's like, is that what your plan is for me? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Because it's been over a decade now, still no children, and, and, and I'm running out of time here. The old clock is ticking on Abram and Sarah to have a child. They're in their uh, 80s or 90s at this point. So, you know, might not be able to have kids pretty soon. <laughs> right? I don't know too many 80-year-old women that are pregnant. Do you? I don't. I, I don't know if I've ever seen one. Uh, it'd be interesting to see that. We can't. We can't. We got to keep going. Got to keep going. So Abram starts lowering his expectations here. He's saying, he's saying, like, you know what? Maybe God, maybe this is what God means by an heir. Maybe, maybe this miracle is only supposed to be that I'm supposed to get somebody uh, and, and adopt them, and that's going to be my way to having a child. He's lowering his expectation of what God had promised him and almost takes matters into his own hands again. He tried it once before, and it didn't work very well, if you remember that one. They went to Egypt when there was a famine in the land. He was having a crisis of faith, went to Egypt, and that didn't turn out so well for him either. So Abram is being honest with God and saying, I don't know if your plan is actually going to come through. We'll read a couple of verses again. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now, if you're going to be honest with God, understand that he will respond. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram just believes him. Again, his faith is affirmed. God reassures and comes to Abram. God reassures Abram and said, don't worry about this. You will have a son, and he will be your heir. Don't go the route that you think you need to go right now. Continue to trust in me. And in our own lives, we need to continue and trust in God. When it seems like there's no other way, 
Doesn't it seem like we want to take matters into our own hands sometimes? Like, God, if you're not going to do this in my time, I mean, we can just be honest about it, right? Sometimes I'm that way too. God, if you're not going to be doing this in my time, then I'm going to make sure that I do this in, in, in the timing that I think is, is accurate and right. And typically it doesn't go very well for us when we try to do that. But God says, don't worry, relax. I know the promises I made to you. And then Abram believes him, and it's counted to him as righteousness. It's counted to him as righteous. That means that we are justified by faith, not by works. Right? That's a theology that is present in Abram's story, and it carries out all throughout Scripture, that we are justified by our faith, not by the works that we do. The works that we do is a response to the faith that we have. The works is not a, a way to get in right relationship with God. The, the works is something that we do out of a response. So out of a response, we get to do the June 26th event with Feeding America. Out of a response, we come and we gather here. Out of a response, we worship. It's always out of response, never out of necessity. And that's the beautiful thing about with God is that we are counted as righteous because of our faith and nothing else. Nothing else. Verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, this gets a little bit weird, all right? Just letting you know. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Okay. And he brought him all these cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. Now we got a bit of a left turn, don't we? It got a little bit weird all of a sudden. Like, okay, God's speaking. Isn't it weird that we can, like, okay, yeah, God's speaking to Abram in a vision. We can like, accept that. And now God tells him to get some animals, cut them in half, and lay them down. Like, what? <laughs> what are we doing? And, but don't cut the birds, all right? Don't cut those now. I don't know if you could cut a turtle dove in half. I don't know. I think it's too small. So that's probably why he had him not do it. But this was actually a covenant uh, thing that happened in this time. It was actually kind of a normal thing. Like I said last week, remember that um, we need to understand context. In America, that context is pretty weird. I don't know if you guys have ever seen two halves of animals lying next to each other in a row. Have you? I haven't. I actually have one time, and it was because they were talking about this verse. Uh, and it wasn't even like in person. It was like on a video, so it didn't even count. But this was, in the context of this, this is something that's actually quite normal, and it represented a covenant. It represented that what, uh, this was a customary covenant between two parties, and it signified what should happen should one of the parties break that covenant. So what they had to do is they had to lay these, two, uh, these three animals, um, the halves of them, which would be a bit of work, I would say, to cut an animal in half, I've never tried it. I've never skinned a deer. I've never shot a deer. I know you can judge me later, but look at me. Do you, what, I mean, what do you expect? I've got a Baby Yoda t-shirt on. Do you think, like, I'm not, <laughs> wow, Brian doesn't hunt? I can't, I just, I can't believe that. He's wearing flip-flops. I don't understand. Like, why? You, you cut them in half, which I assume is a process, and then you, what you're supposed to do is you walk through them together. Like, you, you walk through, and it's the sign of a covenant that says, this is what's going to, if, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, basically, you're allowed to cut me in half. Contextually, that's what this is saying. And so, 
that's the scene that's being set right here. Abram is about, or God is about to make a covenant with Abram. And it's kind of customary. It was in a lot of different cultures in this time. And we use it. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Anytime we have an experience with God, a lot of us want to think that this is like some sort of just nice experience, right? We have this idea of who Jesus is, right? Of just like the, the, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus almost, where it's just, he's super cool, like surfer Jesus, basically, where he's like cool with whatever you want to do. He's cool with whatever you have, like, w- like however you live your life. That's cool, man. But Abram is having this experience with the most high God and a dreadful and darkness fell upon Abram. It was terrifying is what that word means. That word dreadful in the original language means terrifying. And I had to look it up because it didn't make sense to me. Do you ever come across scripture that just doesn't make sense to you? Do you ever understand, like, do you ever hear God uh, described as terrifying? That doesn't really fit in our concept of who God is, does it? A terrifying God? I, I, don't, I don't understand, especially in America today. We're like, I don't know, we can have church in a brewery. It's not that terrifying. But God is all perfect, all-knowing, and all-powerful. And that kind of an experience can be terrifying. If you've ever stood in, 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 in the presence of greatness, there's a fear of that person. A little bit, right? Like if I were to go and, and meet like a president or something, like I would be a little bit scared. I would be a little bit nervous. Wouldn't you? A little, like, do I, how's my handshake? I would be worried that I would do the handshake thing and he'd cut me off and then I'd have like the, the fish handshake where it's like super lame. And then I'd have to try to do it again and I'm super awkward. So then, you know, do you bro hug the president? I don't know, right? There's a lot of fear that runs through that. The fear of meeting someone great, it's, it's, a, it's a real thing. I've only met a couple of semi-famous people and it's been kind of nerve-wracking. So I can understand maybe if I'm, if I'm about to have an encounter with the for real God, the actual God, the God of the universe, if he's gonna come down and he's gonna be before me in a vision or whatever this is that's going on, I'm gonna have some, some fear. There's gonna be some terror involved. In fact, Oftentimes in Scripture, God is, uh, is described as being terrifying, mostly to his enemies. God can be a terrifying God. Can we be honest about that? Well, I don't want to worship a God that, that brings, brings fear into people's lives. I don't want to worship a God that would be considered terrifying. No, he's perfect, and he's just, and he's good. far more than us. There's this awe and this fear of who God is, and I think sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we're like, eh, God's okay. Eh, Jesus, he did, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give him part of my life. I'll let Jesus be a part of my life. 
This is a for real God. And Jesus gets to be all of our life. It's not something that we just get to casually decide to do or not do. Jesus doesn't want just a part of your life. He wants your life. And it will go well for you if you let him. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now this was a prophecy to Abram saying, hey, this is not over yet. This is going to be a long process. You guys, we have a lot to go through. There's a lot that you're going to go through. There's a lot that your people are going to go through. Your nation is going to go through a lot. And I find it interesting, the writer of this book is Moses. The writer of Genesis is Moses. And so in this time, Moses is writing to his people on the Exodus journey out of, uh, out of Egypt. And Moses is reminding his people, this was all talked about 400 years ago. Everything we're experiencing right now is what's supposed to be happening. He's reminding his people. Remember, the Amorites are people who are uh, against Moses at this time. They're in the land. They're, they're doing a lot to the nation of Israel. And so Moses is reminding them, don't worry about this. This is supposed to be happening. Remember, he told Abram that all of this was going to happen 400 years ago. Context. See, it works. God had a plan. All right, verse 17. Oh, we're almost done. But then we've got to do all of our points. When... <laughs> Everybody, like, there was, like, oh, nervous laughter there. <laughs> when the sun had gone down, it was like, is he serious? I don't when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. God is saying, I'm giving this land. And God signs this covenant with Abram that his offspring will have this land. What's interesting is, is God put Abram into a, a sleep. Abram wasn't able to walk this covenant with God. God's the only one who walked through those pieces, representing as a, a, uh, a basically a smoking oven and a torch. Symbols of God passed through these halves of animals. And he's the only one who passed through signifying for the future that God is the only one who fulfills this covenant. It's again out of a response from our end. See, God says, Abram, you don't have to do a single thing to make this covenant complete. Typically, when two people would walk through, there were two responsibilities, one for each person. But this one, God says, this is all on me. If I break this covenant, if I break this promise, then I get to be cut in half. 
If I'm the one who's gonna break this covenant, it's all on me. The, 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 the thing is, God is only true, and he can only be true to himself, and he can only make promises to himself. He can't swear to anyone higher because he is the highest. And so God is saying, I swear on me that this is going to happen for you. And you can just sleep, and it's going to happen. And that's the great thing about faith, right? Is there's nothing that we have to do to get closer to God. Our response is what Jesus did for us. And hundreds of years later, we see Jesus make a brand new covenant with us. Jesus makes a brand new covenant with us. And I don't know if it's on the screen or not. I can't remember what I put on the screen. But in Luke, if it's not there, it's cool. Luke 22, verse 20. Last week we took communion. It says, and likewise, this is Jesus talking, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, <clears throat> that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This covenant with Abram, this covenant with Israel is done. Jesus makes a brand new covenant with us, with his blood. Jesus gives us a new covenant. So we can, what can we learn from this story of Abram and this covenant with God? What does this mean for us? There's three things. Because I'm working on being a good preacher, so three points. Number one, the seeker's doubt brings depth. The seeker's doubt brings depth. See, we have, this, we have this, this, this thing in church where doubt is a bad thing, right? Where we, where we say, you know what? You, you really shouldn't doubt. You really shouldn't doubt anything. You shouldn't question anything. But I find that the people who doubt, the people who question, often have a deeper relationship with Jesus than the people who will refuse to doubt and refuse to question out of fear. It's good to question. Now, there's two types of it. There's doubt that denies, and there's doubt that desires. Now, doubt that denies is a bad thing. Doubt, doubt that denies is like, you know what? I'm not going to believe a single thing. I doubt it even exists. I doubt God is a real thing. I doubt any of these things. That's doubt that denies. But doubt that desires is, is what Abram is facing right here. He's saying, you know what? I know that God made these promises for me. I know that there's all of like, that I'm supposed to have a child. But right now in chapter 15, I'm doubting that that's actually going to be a thing that happens. I desire it. I want it to have a, a, a truth in my life but I doubt that this is going to come through. It's a doubt that desires. And so he starts asking God, like, what am I supposed to do? Have, have Eleazar from Damascus, he's supposed to be my offspring? And it brings in this whole new level of relationship with God. Abram and God now have an even greater relationship. God meets him right where he's at. The seeker's doubt brings depth. One of the things that we talk about here at Restoration Church, it's in our mission statement, is transparency. It's the first word in our mission statement. Transparency, community, and change. The first word is transparency. We want to be a church that is transparent. 
both with Jesus and with each other, but it has to start with Jesus. It has to start with Jesus. I need to be transparent with him. Did you know that Jesus can handle your transparency? Jesus can handle your questions because this is truth, and truth can stand up to your questions. Truth can hold up against your questions. Did you know that? You're not going to hurt the Bible's feelings. You're not going to hurt Jesus' feelings. I guarantee you're not going to hurt his feelings. He wants you to be transparent with him. He wants you to have an open conversation with him. Any any friends that I have, and especially uh, with my wife, we want to be able to have open and transparent conversations. Why? Because that brings our relationship to a deeper level. It allows us to love each other more. And with friends, I don't want to know just what's happening on the surface level of your life. I want to know what's happening in your life and what are the things you struggle with? What are the things that are going well for you? Anytime we have close friends, isn't that always what we desire is a a close and intimate relationship where they can share with us what's going on we can share with them what we have going on in our lives? Why do we stop at friends and with our spouses and not with God? He asks us to be transparent with them. He asks us to seek. In Hebrews, I know I didn't put this one on there, Hebrews, Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. Are you seeking him? The seeker's doubt brings depth. Second thing, when we have that seeker's doubt and is bringing depth, when we're transparent with Jesus, well, then God meets us where we are to bring us to where he is. Let me say that again. God meets us where we are to bring us to where he is. Abram's having these questions. He's having these doubts. He's wondering what's going on in his life. And God comes down and meets him exactly where he's at. He's speaking directly to the fear that Abram has. He's speaking directly to the doubt that Abram has. Not so that Abram will stay there, but to bring Abram out of it. God doesn't meet us where we are just so that we can stay where we are. He wants us to continue growing. He wants us to continue moving and, 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 and getting closer to him. God meets us where we are to bring us to where he is. Muhammad Ali, the famous boxer, I don't know of a different one, I heard this on Thursday night, we actually brought this up in our men's group here uh, on Thursday night, and one of the guys there brought up this quote, and he was like, the prophet Muhammad Ali, (laughs) so I thought was a joke, kind of funny, said this, inside of a ring or out, Ain't nothing wrong with going down. It's staying down that's wrong. If anybody would know that, it's Muhammad Ali. And there's nothing wrong with going down. There's nothing wrong with doubt. There's nothing wrong with being insecure and not sure where you're at and where you fit in and how do I do this? I don't know what to do with my hands. There's nothing wrong with going down, but it's what do we do next? We can't stay down. And that's where God meets us where we're at. If, we're, if we've been punched down, if we've been, life has just knocked us down over and over again, and we just don't have the strength and the energy to get up right now, 
God's going to meet us right where we are if we're open and transparent with him. Some of us are laying on the ground, bloody, with broken bones, can't get up, and we're just saying up to God, no, I think I'm good. I, I'm feeling pretty good. Life hasn't taken its toll on me. I'm fine. Don't tempt you. No, don't, don't look at me, though, because you're going to see that that's not the case. God is going to respect us as well. If we're transparent with him and say, God, not having a good day. I'm not having a good life. He will meet us where we're at. Now the thing is, are we going to follow him to where he is? He's going to help us up and he's going to say, come and follow me. And that's when we get to have a response. Are we going to say, no, I don't think so. Thanks for helping me up. Thanks for getting me out of that situation. Thanks for curing that disease. Thanks for repairing that relationship. Thanks for whatever, but I'm good now. Are we going to follow? If we're honest and transparent and he meets us where we are, we're going to follow him to where he is. There was uh, not too long ago, um, I was doing a, a men's group in a tattoo shop and uh, we got a whole bunch of guys to this tattoo shop. It was pretty cool uh, because what guy doesn't want to go have a Bible study in a tattoo shop? That's just kind of natural, I think. Uh, one guy even got tattooed while we were having the, the group. It was pretty fun um, for us, not for him. But um, we were attracting all of these people, all these people who were new to faith, had all of their own opinions and whatever, and people who were kind of far from God, and we were starting to get outnumbered, uh, basically, on people who knew who Jesus was versus people who didn't. And uh, people had a whole bunch of theories and opinions. And, and I remember this one week, it was about the lowest this Bible study had ever been, not in numbers, but just in terms of like the battle that we were facing. Because there was, there was a couple guys that showed up, they were like, we don't believe any of that kind of stuff. We think that whatever you do is fine. Whatever you want to believe is fine. And there's, there's the, like Jesus isn't the only way. All of this stuff, he starts saying all of this stuff that we're trying to combat. And like, no, that's not the case. I'd like, love you, but I, I got to tell you who, about who Jesus is. And we're feeling the effects of it. We're battling hard. And we're feeling pretty down and out. And, and I'm not ready for the next week. It got a little bit heated with some of the guys, and I'm just like, oh, I don't want this to be, like, this can go south quick. So I was honest with God. I said, we're going to need to do something here. And by we, I mean you. Because I don't know what I'm doing. I find myself in that position a lot. I put myself in that position. I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, start a church. I don't know what I'm doing, but Okay. That next week, a new guy showed up. His name is James, and some of us have met James. I've talked to him before. You've about, about him before here. James shows up, and it was like God sent the troops back in, like, and just like, it was the best Thursday night we had ever had that next week. We had the one week before where I didn't know if this was going to be able to go on any longer. And then the very next Thursday, reinforcements showed up. God was like, you need somebody to come and, and course correct what's going on. James showed up, brought a whole bunch of truth. He was just showing up to show up because he was like, hey, this will be fun. 
and he just brought truth that was awesome. And from that moment on, we just pushed forward and we had the reinforcements. What would have happened if we had not actually done anything and not prayed about it, not seek God in it, wasn't transparent with it? I don't know. God meets us where we are to bring us to where he is. Last point is trust God for the outcome. Sometimes it's by the skin of our teeth. I don't understand that phrasing, but there's no skin on our teeth. But sometimes it's just, just a little bit, just a faith of a mustard seed sometimes is all it takes. And sometimes that's all the faith that we have left. But we trust God for the outcome. I know there's people in this room that have had to trust God for the outcome. It hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy. He alone passed through those halves with Abram saying, this is not on you, this is on me. Jesus alone is the one who went to the cross for us. He said, this is on me to make this right with God. It's not on you. All you've got to do is follow. I'm going to meet you right where you are. All you've got to do is follow. Jesus was the lone bearer of the covenant for us. And now we get the rewards from that. We get the promises that come along with that. One last scripture for you guys is Galatians 3:29. We're going to sing another song, and it's going to be an exciting song to sing. Because we're free. Galatians 3.29, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. Let me read that one more time. Because nobody smiled at that. It was just like, oh, cool. No, that's good news, you guys. This is good. This is good stuff. Trust God for the outcome. Here's what it says. Okay, you ready? Galatians 3.29 has a great verse for us that puts us in the promises of who God is. It's pretty cool. I'm going to read it for you guys right now. Galatians 3.29 says, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, Heirs according to promise. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll do it some other time. <clears throat> we'll figure this whole thing out. We're just learning together in a safe space. It's cool. Um, we get to be heirs like Abraham. The promises of Abraham to Abraham are promises now for us. The promise of restoration with God is now with us because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's nothing that we did. It's all about what he, what he did for us. And out of response to that, we get to have a relationship with him. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you're, you're on the ground right now and you just need to be transparent with God and say, I'm not feeling the greatest right now. We can leave that up to him and say, you know what, God, I'm giving this all over to you today.
The battle belongs to him. It doesn't belong to us. But there's a way that we can fight. And it's by being open and honest and transparent. With the God of the universe who strikes fear and terror into his enemies. And an awe-inspiring terror with those who follow him. That's the God we get to follow. That's the God we get to be under. I don't know about you, but that is pretty exciting to me. So we're going to sing one more song. We're going to celebrate what God has done, what God continues to do, what Jesus has done. And I ask if you would, I know we're in a brewery and it's weird to sing out. The words are going to be on the screen if you can see them. We just want you to celebrate and sing with us and believe these words. Sing these words out as a prayer. Sing these words out as celebration of what Jesus has done for us.